for today's episode, we should just start off the podcast with some of the Rocky theme music. I don't know if that's legal, but I would like to. It'd be fun to start. Yeah, we got to do this. Welcome to Mojo Moments. I'm your host, Thing Calder, and with me is Mark Delinsky with the J. What's up, buddy? Wait, who do you think you are? Jason Bateman or something? All like you know, Asperger-esque. Well, you know, <laughs> when you come on the show prepared, unlike you, you can come across as a Jason Bateman to the Will Arnett's of the world. Okay, let's not even pretend we're those dudes, because our show is challenging we're nipping at their heels you know uh you know we were saying dax shepherd was getting a little worried now smartless crew are like they're feeling the heat they're feeling the heat yeah we might be beginning to even remotely be considering approaching their radar anyway let's talk about the most important thing we're here to talk about mojo how is your mojo friend pretty good time shift threw us for a loop in the old delinsky household getting the little guy out you know to daycare in the morning time shift going to sleep it's been a bit of a mess but other than that things are absolutely fine i love the uh the warmer weather and the longer days it's true man the longer days and speaking of long days man we just put out there into the world our one year uh we did a special riff our our working from home riff one year it's been one year that we've been doing this thing because the you know the pandemic because of the rona (laughs) <laughs> I hadn't heard that one because of the Rona. So, so you know, and I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the, you know, we did one year of this thing. And it's just been awesome. There have been advantages. Like, for us, it's it's not been too bad. As you know, I've been going, I'm at the office now. I'm coming to the office these days, right? Yeah, but you're escaping your family, right? Like, no, that's no, point. no. I got We got 16,000 square feet of beautiful loft office space here. So I'm using it. <laughs> Enough about us, man. Enough about us. Let's talk about our guest today. I joined this Scott Galloway, smart talking head. Uh, he's uh, he's going to take down the whole educational system with his online school. And he, he launched these things, a strategy sprint. So I joined that out of curiosity because I love Scott Galloway's um, podcast, his books. He's a very, very uh, insightful guy. So I joined the, the, this course, uh, Section 4 course. Uh, and what they do is they break you out into groups and use Slack as like the platform. And in my group, I was in the so-called founders group. And you kind of, you, you, there's a lot of like, hey, hang out and get to know your other cohort and collaborate. Anyway, on the list, there's this guy with the name Ironbound Boxing Academy. And I was just like, that is so cool. And the reason why, it first, well, just the whole thing was cool. But when I grew up, Mark, I grew up, uh, my mom was from Nova Scotia. And I, I would go to Nova Scotia and we would go sailing in the fog, in the cold, in the wet. That's all there is going on out there. Sorry, Nova Scotia. It's just a fact. And there was this island called Ironbound. It was like this mysterious, almost like spooky island on the edge of the Atlantic. Like it was just cold and it just had this mystery and power to me. So I immediately like slacked uh, Michael and was just like, your thing is so cool. What are you about? And we started jamming and I was just like, 
this guy's got mojo. So that's why I said, Mark, check out his bio. We're getting Michael Stedman. So, Mark, do the bio. Be the pro here. Bring it, bring it up. I'll be the pro. So grew up in Texas, went to Naval Academy Prep School in Rhode Island, Naval Academy in Maryland, three-time National Collegiate Boxing Association champion, two-time NCBA Most Valuable Boxer, a Marine, did tours in Afghanistan, as well as Japan and the Philippines, is working at St. Benedict's Preparatory School in New Jersey, and has founded Ironbound Boxing Academy. And more. So and more. That is the, and more. more. Ironbound Media Productions, just a one-man wrecking crew, and he's joining the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I actually don't work at St. Benedict's anymore. When I I was, I was what we call a third shift entrepreneur, right? So I had my day job. Well, technically, I worked in the evening because I ran a boys home. I ran the residence hall there. So I lived in a giant house with 70 teenage boys. During the day, I ran my boxing gym and built that out and coached, right? And then I had the evening to work on the hustle. Um, And so that's the third shift. Well, the third shift is business, family. And then your your entre- your your entrepreneurial hustle, but I was successful. I was able to step off away from that, and uh, just been working on my business full time since then. So did a little corporate boxing, working with companies like WeWork, Spotify, Next Jump. Uh, but then I launched my podcast production agency uh, last year in Q three, and uh, just been building ever since. So I um, I I just want to thank you for because mark takes a lot of pride of getting these bios super tight because i used to do them they they i'd make a lot of mistakes and he took them over and he was like i i'm gonna make these tight and then the fact that you called them out on an error you've just set the tone right there this is awesome man you got me at that moment i know this is gonna be good today (laughs) yeah it's gonna be good and thank you thane for having me on your platform man as somebody that's in the younger days of launching an agency, Old man I look up her. to guys like you, and I look forward to learning from you. Are you saying I'm old or? or... <laughs> no, a little bit. I'm going to shave my head like Scott Galloway, and then we can deal with no, you know, hide the gray, hide the gray. Hey, we hadn't talked about that, and it was Mark that brought me up to speed on the Texas story. College Station, Texas, which I have no idea. It just, he, Mark just said it's in the middle of nowhere between Houston that is not what I said. Wow. First of all, I did not say middle of nowhere. <laughs> okay. I mean, because we were looking at it on the map, but like, you know, it's kind of in between, you know, you got Dallas Fort Worth up top, you got Austin to the west, and you got Houston sort of to the east. But like, yeah. you know, when you were growing up, which, which of those cities had that pull for you? And do you still like associate yourself as being a Texan or, or like, how does that work? I'm definitely a Texan at heart. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point. Like there was this pull towards like the Austin area. You know, my sister okay. went to school at the University of Texas. Um, and, you know, it was just, I don't know, when I was growing up in the South, though, the world just seemed a lot smaller. That made sense. Because Texas is so far away. Like people don't just go through Texas. You know, I live in the Northeast now. I live in Newark, New Jersey, which is 20 minutes away from New York City. I got friends from college coming through New York all the time. Right. There's always somebody in the area. But in Texas, it's like not not the case. And so, you know, um, it's definitely like my foundations. But I, I I had to get out of there because I just had to spread my wings a little bit. You know, I wanted to see more of the world like New York City was like this thing that was on TV when I was growing up, you know, and now like I'm out here and I go there almost every 
other day. So it's it's crazy. But you say that about Texas, but I got this feeling right now. It's a lot in the news for not always the good reasons or, or unfortunate, you know, circumstances. But I have this feeling that Texas is like becoming like the place, or is it just a perception, or or it'll never be a New York, or or or, or, or what's my is is what's my read here like? Yeah, no, you're right. I think the world is opening up mainly because of technology and like the global economy, you know? So this idea of, it's like when TV first hit, you know, people in the sticks all of a sudden got exposed to this other world, right? Well, now people are like looking at New York City, looking at these one bedroom apartments for $5,000 a month, you know, and a job they hate. And they're like, you know what, man, I can go work out in Austin. You know, I can have a giant house and have space to myself and whatever have dope bars and still make the same amount of money, if not more and be happier. And I think that's what we're starting to experience now is just like work culture is just changing. And a lot of our identity has been tied to our work and our work has been tied to specific locations and the internet has just opened that up. And so now people are free to choose where they want to live. And the other reason is, you know, like if you have a rocket shit company like Elon Musk and you're like, hey, it's just flatter there, maybe flatter. <laughs> Hey, so let's get into the heart of this. So Ironbound Boxing Academy. Okay. Give us give us the 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 give us our listeners the story there because it's, it's it's a great story. Yeah, so just to get you up to speed, uh again, originally from College Station, Texas, and I grew up in a single parent household. So I was raised by my mother and uh my si- lived with my mom and my sister until she uh went off to college. And I'm 33 to this day, so I never met my father. And the reason I bring that up is because it ties into a lot of the demographics of the young man I, I tend to work with. So I had an opportunity to go to the Naval Academy. First, I had to go to prep school. Then I actually went to the academy. And while I was there, I got exposed to the sport of boxing. I never boxed before in my entire life. We had to pick a sport while at Navy. It's just part of the process. I picked boxing. Wait, 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 and wait. First- before that, you hadn't done boxing? Never boxed before in my entire life. And can I just do a little little sort of asterisk on this? The, the Navy Academy is like... That's the Harvard of like military schools, right? Yeah, it's up there. It's like <laughs> no, but it, it's like West Point for you for the Marine side. Navy, yeah. yeah, for the Navy. Yeah, it's the same personality types. I think the Ivy Leagues tend to be a little bit more probably like analytical, and I think the military cats are a little bit more well rounded. So Ooh, you'll get the guys that threw like a shot four point that end up going to be like a Navy SEAL. They were captain of their hockey team. You know, um, it's just a different personality. Type. I just want to get that in there. Just to give a little context. Like you were not only you've rocked, you know, the boxing world, which you're going to get to in a sec, because I cut you off. That's I'm famous for that. But you're rocking. You know, you went to the top of the uh, military schools in the world. Like this is it. So continue, yeah, continue. Man. So you go there and you got to choose a sport. So we, I pick a sport. I pick boxing. First day of practice, coach teaches us like three punches. And then he's like, go ahead and spar. Pick a sparring partner. You're going to spar like three rounds. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, we just learned how to fight. Now you have a sparring. But it was a weird feeling of just the adrenaline, you know, and this idea that, like, wait, people live in this? You know, like, they live and breathe this? Like, people box like it's pickup basketball. I was like, I want what those guys have. And I think there's even still this mystique of the boxer, you know, Rocky, that toughness, right? Like, we all deep down wonder if we have it within us. You know, but very few people ever step inside the ring. So we like to do like Tabata and what is it? Fight camp. You know, we like to do everything but step inside the ring because we want to feel what it is to be a boxer. 
without ever having a box. I'm the opposite, though. I was like, I want what those guys have. So I got exposed to boxing, found out I was pretty good at it. Uh, my first year was questionable, right? Won some, lost some. But then the next year, it just clicked, and I won my first national championship. And by the time I graduated Navy, I had won three national championships, uh, two most viable boxer awards, and was captain of my boxing team. And I also got an award for an Indomitable Warrior Spirit. It was called the Zambiak Award. It was given to a graduating senior that demonstrated an indomitable spirit through, uh, through club sports. But one of the things about Navy, right, I like to joke with people that I didn't win three national championships boxing a bunch of midshipmen from the Naval Academy, you know, because at the end of the day, like, we're, we're still smart, you know, we're like, sometimes we tend not to be the toughest, at least not right away. Now, once we graduate, we go to the Marine Corps, then we get that badass status. But while we're there, you know, a lot of people tend to be still pretty nerdy. But uh, I spent a lot of time training in inner city boxing gyms, Baltimore, D.C., Virginia, Brooklyn, and that's where I learned the sport, right? I would get my head cracked, you know, in these inner city gyms. Um, but to be quite frank, at the Naval Academy, there wasn't a lot of black people. Um, and the more, when I would go into the inner city gyms, I saw a lot more people that looked like me. Now, unfortunately, the thing was, a lot of the kids and young adults inside these gyms felt like they didn't have any options outside of the boxing ring. They felt like their only option was either turn pro or go to the streets. And I felt like that was a broken system because I was at the Naval Academy. My teammates and I were going to graduate from a prestigious university serve our country as officers in the military, and then transition out and work in corporate America, become doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, et cetera. And so that planted a seed in the back of my mind of, hey, boxing is a great sport. There's a broken system here. At some point, I want to build an inner city boxing gym in the inner city when I get out of the military. And that, so that was in your head. You, you parked that in? That was okay. in my head. I planted the seed in my head and kept it moving. So I graduated the academy. I went on to serve our country in the Marine Corps. Afghanistan, Japan, and the Philippines. And then uh, when, I tra- when I was looking to transition out, I decided, and I think this is all of us, right? Like, we can be honest as adults here, right? As a black male, okay, I had done everything society had told me to do. I went to a good university, right? I had a decent career, right? They're serving our country in the military. And it's like, you know, when you're younger and they say you can do whatever you want to do, be whatever you want to be. But when you're an adult, all of a sudden, everybody tries to put you in a box, no. And for me, I was like, man, I want to coach amateur boxing. Well, that's not a career choice, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I was like, look, man, on paper, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, right? Now it's time for me to go do what I want to do. And so I decided to transition out and relocate to Newark, New Jersey, because Newark is a rough city. I don't know if you've heard of it, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, it is not a city people tend to move to. But I had an opportunity to teach leadership here during my summers at the Naval Academy, working with young men of color at a private school called St. Benedict's Prep. So I relocated here after I got out, after I transitioned out with the intent of starting a free boxing program. I took a job working at St. Benedict's Prep, running the residence hall, which was basically me living in a giant teenage house of 70 teenage boys. So talk about an ego stroke there. You know, my peers are getting out. They're going to like Harvard and Warden and elite business schools. And I'm moving to Newark to be a house dad. And you're like, my boxing is now useful. <laughs> I can get these kids in line. Right. But for me, it was just I had this vision. I wanted to coach boxing. As long as I was coaching boxing, I felt like everything would work itself out. And uh, within a year and a half of being here in the city, I approached the city of Newark about opening a boxing gym. I just asked for a space. I said, we'll cover everything else ourselves. I just need a space. They gave me the space in the back of a leaky recreation center. And uh, we launched the Ironbound Boxing Academy. 
And so as a free gym here in the city of Newark, and it's since we've since expanded our offering. So not only do we teach boxing, we have an entrepreneur uh, incubator program called Thrive, where we teach the kids entrepreneurship, how to start a small business and give them micro grants to start. And then we're also connecting them with employment opportunities. And here's why. Right. At a certain point, we start working with young men of any caliber, young men and women, period, um, particularly in inner city. You know, the recreation comes to a point of like, you know, when they start out, they're younger. Right. They're 12, 13, 14. Then you look up and they're 18. Right. And what happens when they're 18? What are they asking for? Coach, you know, anybody that's hiring, you know, can I get a job somewhere? And so I realized that there was this opportunity for economic support through entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship represents a way up and it represents a way out. And we talk about these boxes people put people in. Imagine being an inner city kid growing up in one of the worst cities in the country. And now you're transitioning into the workforce and you choose not to go to college. Well, who's hiring you and what are they paying you? Right. So a kid is like, man, I'll go stand on the corner and sell dope. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not working at McDonald's for seven dollars an hour, 15 dollars an hour. And they have these other options. So it's like entrepreneurship. There's a sense of meaning and purpose that goes into it. And so we're bridging that gap. And so that's where we're at. You know, we're up and running. We're actually in the process of launching the Ironbound Courage Academy, which is a first of its kind facility where we're co-locating our boxing program and our incubator. So a kid is going to be able to box, get his body right mentally and physically, um, and then be able to learn some entrepreneurship uh, in our incubator. So we're excited. We're figuring it out. You're like truly like a renaissance man. It's like you, you hit so many dimensions. The thing that, you know, I'm wondering, like when you started, like you mentioned earlier, the boxing Academy was there. It was in the back of your mind. But when you, did you just sort of discover, God, I got to connect this with the entrepreneurship side or was that always there too? Like it was not, I had never in my life thought about being an entrepreneur. Okay. Right. I my goal was to be honest, I set myself on a pathway to be a head boxing coach at the Naval Academy. That was my plan when I left the military was to move to Newark, learn boxing in the inner city, learn, get my street cred, and then be the most qualified man in America to take over as head boxing coach at the United States Naval Academy. One of my core purposes in life is to lift as I climb. Right. And what does that mean? It means I'm tired of being one of one in a room. Right. I don't think that's winning anymore. Right. I want, you know, 30, like for every one of me, they leave 100 in the graveyard. And what do I mean? Young black men. Right. I would very much rather have 30, 40 with me, you know, and 50 in the graveyard instead of these odds. Because I think a lot of times it's like, oh, you're successful, you know, and we should applaud you. But it's like, yo, man, I'm the only one. What is the hold up here? You know, I don't want to be here by myself. And so I realize that I need to create systems as I grow that allow me to physically do that, lift as I climb. What does that look like? That looks like the nonprofit. That looks like the incubator. And one of the things I do too is stuff that I'm really passionate about, I can't help but want to share it with people, which is why I like coaching boxing. I love boxing. It's great in my life, so I want to share it. Entrepreneurship, it's a punch in the face. <laughs> yes, every, <laughs> you a, get punched all the time, man. Punch in the face, borderline curb stomp. <laughs> yeah. You know? But then, you know, you get up off the canvas and it's still this sense of purpose. Like, it's still fun, you know? And I've kind of built my approach to entrepreneurship. And I, I bet you're probably like this too, Thane, of like, at a certain point, once you figure stuff out, your work looks like play. I mean, your our play looks like work to other people, you know? And I really just, it's just an enjoyable way to work. Like, 
if I'm going to be slaving away up at night working on a project, I'd rather it be for me and my company than like some random professor at a university that like, you know, we spend so much time working on other people's stuff. Imagine how far we could move the world if we spent half that time working on the projects and stuff that really matter. To Why us. am I seeing Mark taking notes going like, I got to work on <laughs> Mark's like, What am I doing here now? Gotta bail on Thane, <laughs> do my own thing. But it, it brings up a good point. Um, and all these things, like you're you're using your passion to to spur on others. But I'm looking sort of at, at that bio that you have, and there's there's so many points where the, like an education system came in. You know, you went to the prep school to get into the academy, and then you started doing uh, a program at Rutgers, if I'm correct. Yep. So is there an element of mojo there for you and sort of constant learning and like getting that information? Like you, you, you went to the inner cities to get the, the sort of real education in boxing. So is, is there an element for you of, 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 you know, that constant learning that, that gives you mojo? No, and even, and may I jump in? And you call your things academies too. They're always academies. Yeah. You True. Know. Yeah. It's a little different touch to it. Right. Cause if it's just a gym, right. Oh, it's a place we go work out. You say academy, right? Words have meaning. People are like, man, I'm about to learn something here. So it's just an elevation of it. Mm-hmm. It's funny you asked me that question about education because I I was just thinking about this. I have my own podcast, Confessions of a Native Son. And my podcast is basically my PhD in African-American studies, right? Because it allows me to basically explore this other aspect of my personality, which you mentioned. I got my master's in American studies from Rutgers uh, University in Newark. Um, I have a deep passion for African-American studies and history because, you know, you go into an environment, you're one-on-one, then you start going down this rabbit hole, where or why? And then you find all this fascinating history about our country and everything else under the sun. And so I, I just, that's something that's very personal to me to always be scratching and learning. But the reason I, I like that you asked about the education piece, and this is more recently, I think we all tend to suffer from imposter syndrome, right? This is like a constant recurrent theme. I have broken imposter syndrome, Right. And here's how I've done it, because I've done hard things consistently, right? And the thing that broke it for me was the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, because it was if there was ever a time where you felt like, you know, where I felt like, man, this is, I'm up against it. Revenue zero, the world shut down, right? And I could have just binge watched Netflix. But I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? Let me launch my podcast agency. Boom, was profitable from the very beginning. And when I transition out, all my friends are going to these business schools, Warden Business Schools, Harvard MBAs, all this other stuff. And here I am living in a residence hall in Newark, working in a boxing gym that I'm not getting paid to do. (laughs) And so it always kind of was in the back of my head, this sense of, oh, who am I, right? But over the course of this pandemic and just me just gaining my confidence, uh, I've learned to shake it. And the world has really opened up to me in terms of learning um, and what that means, because I thought. It's just learning is fun, right? Like it legitimately is fun. And I just take books and I take podcasts and I take experiences. Like I talked to Thane for like an hour one day, you know, just learning about his stuff. And I get to create, basically, you get to create your own education, right? Thane, me and you are brand guys, right? I was taking an audio course on storytelling, right? What kind of education, pro? like I got to pay $3,500 to take that if I'm at a university. And if it's out of my program, they say, oh, that's not part of your electives. Like, what are we talking about here, right? The world is just one giant, like, I study venture capital. I study whatever I want to. And when the, the reason I bring up the imposter syndrome is once you break free from these labels and everything else under the sun, it just opens up a world of possibility. 
It's so interesting because it's a common theme on, on Mojo Moments. Our, our guests bring up this notion of imposter uh, syndrome. And you remember our conversation we had way back, this guy, a really successful podcaster and, and entrepreneur, his name's uh, Mitch Joel. And he talked a lot about that. And his breakthrough to overcome that is he just read, read, read. He just kept reading. Man. And he said, like, he would ask anyone in me, like, what are you reading these days? And he would just, and then he would go read it. And he just eventually said, then I, I just got over it. Like, I just got over this notion of being an imposter. There's your pile of books. Ooh, what's on the stack? Yeah, like, I got venture deals right I, here. I just right? got it in the mail, man. The Art of Impossible, right? Like, Ooh. Uh, Pineapple Podcasting. You know what I'm saying? Uh, what's this? Alan Wise? Yeah. You know, how to start it. And you got three books behind you that are all nicely laid out there. Look, be- Yeah, those are my top three favorite books. Okay, what are they? Say them. So the first one is Third Shift Entrepreneur. I had the opportunity to I actually did the podcast for the uh, the author. So we have a podcast coming out for the book. And I also wrote the forward to it. Oh, wow. Um, because he's a friend of mine and mentor and uh, started an organization called Bunker Labs, which teaches entrepreneurship to veterans, connects them with uh, business resources and whatnot. And that was a community I leaned on heavily. And so when he was launching his book, he reached out to me. He was like, Mike, you're like an OG third shift entrepreneur. And asked me to write the four to the book. So I did. And then I got Play Bigger back there and Niche Down, uh, written by Christopher Lockhead, who is like the category design guy. Um, so this what does that mean? Of, yeah, what is it? A lot of times in branding and business in life, we're always trying to compete, right? Everybody's trying to compete with everybody else. And so what happens? You become a commodity, right? The really successful people are the ones that create the market. They create the category and then they dominate it. Right. So what does that look like? When you think of social media, what do you think of Facebook? Right. Facebook is the category king. Everybody else is second place. Right. And it's a big gap between first and second. You know, it's like Uber and Lyft. Right. And so mm-hmm. The concept is that entrepreneurs and marketers, their first number one priority is to create the category. And what does that mean? That means the p- thought articles. Right. Really making it clear in people's mind. You know, before Fitbit, nobody knew what a wearable was. Fitbit made wearables, you know, that's their category. And then they put their product as the number one uh, solution in it. And so as entrepreneurs, as individuals, what do you want to be known for, right? Where can you dominate at? And so what does that mean? Like at a small business level, you know, niche down, right? So what is that? Like, let's talk about niching down. Like my podcast is Confessions of a Native Son. It's about race, culture, and business from the perspective of a black veteran. If I want to go deeper, I say, a black Marine infantry officer. If I want to go deeper, a black Marine infantry officer from the Naval Academy, right? Who's going to compete with that? <laughs> and then and you're so like you- boxing champion in Newark yeah, at the corner exactly. of third and fifth. <laughs> so that's what it, that's what it talks about. And- but you know, you know what's sorry. To, and, and again, I, I had to cut you off here because it seems like you're learning, you know, you're like, you just keep moving forward. It's like you learn by doing you, you, it's really inspiring, just that energy. Now, either, you know how you're saying you're growing up, you know, your mom raised you. Uh, and I, I know over the years I've read of like, you know, Bill Clinton, who was raised by his mother, father disappeared and all that. And do you think that's part of it? Do you think, is there something about that notion of having to, did it give you permission to take more risks and get out there? Or am I reading into this too much? Or is there anything in that? No, I think, so here's what I have determined about it. 
typically, and I don't know, right? Maybe I'm wrong, but I know a lot of times, right? Like as males, if you grow up with a father figure, you at least have a version of what you could look like. It could be negative or it could be positive, right? Sometimes it's negative, right? People see their dad and they're like, that's going to be me one day. And they push against it versus the one they aspire to be like. Like if your dad's an author, maybe you want to be an author. If he's a screenwriter, you want to be a screenwriter, right? Well, for me, I never had that. So I basically have to piecemeal whoever I'm going to end up like. And it bounces around, right? Like I meet my boxing coach at the Naval Academy, super inspirational. So what do I want to do? I want to be a boxing coach, yeah, yeah. you know? And then I decide to be an entrepreneur. And so I start coming across really successful entrepreneurs and business coaches. What do I want to do? I want to do that, you know? And then as I get self-aware and it's like, well, this is why I'm drawn to this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, I can be whatever I want to be, right? There's nothing stopping me. So what does that look like? And so I've learned to create my own systems within myself in terms of like, you say I do a bunch of stuff. It's all about the freedom to explore my curiosities, right? So like brand strategy, I came up with a brand strategy framework called Dog Whistle Branding, all right? And so I'm curious about brand strategy, right? I was doing it, but I was like, oh, let me see what these courses are about. So what do I do? I stretch that curiosity. Sign up for Scott Galloway's course, boom. Within a week, I got my first brand strategy client, right? And I don't know if it's just the universe, just like reaching out to me or whatever, but it's just like, oh, I reach out and I explore these curiosities. And at a certain point, if I quit being curious and I go to something else, then that's fine. But if, I, if it's still there, then I have the option of, do I continue to explore it? That's fascinating. I want to jump back on the, your podcast, which you launched in February, Confessions of a Native Son. So obviously last year was, was quite a tumultuous time for many different reasons. And, and I've always found that podcasts are a fascinating way not only to learn, but to, to just dive into deeper subjects that you wouldn't necessarily get from like radio or TV or whatever. Have you found that maybe not just in terms of listenership, but those conversations that you've been having around uh, race and diversity and marginalized groups, is it beginning easier or are more people tuning in to hear about them? How's that been going for you with that podcast? Well, it's great. My podcast is very selfish, right? It's really for me. You know, it's for me to work through my thoughts and <laughs> articulate my understanding of the world because at Ironbound Media, I have a bold belief. And I think the future of publishing is audio. You know, in 10 years, I probably won't have books on my bookshelf. These might be like audio books up here. And they're like, oh, I know that podcast or whatever else. But what podcasting allows you to do is it allows you to go deep. And it forces you to articulate these things. So that's why I started, right? I started the podcast, man, because I wanted to write a book called Confessions of a Native Son. And if you're familiar with African-American history or literature, there's a very famous author called James Baldwin, mm -hmm. right? And James Baldwin wrote a book called Notes of a Native Son, which was 10 essays about um, race and his experience with it and America and all these different things, which was also a compliment to the book that preceded uh which was called Native Son, written by Richard Wright. And Native Son is a book about a character named Bigger Thomas, who basically, you know, society and racism and their perceptions of a black man, he starts to believe it himself as a character. And so over the course of the story, he is basically like a white guy's version of a black guy in the, in the 50s. Like every, every nasty, dirty thing they had, Vudivus, experienced in this character. And it was to the point to where this character acted out because of it. And Native Son, had just it's just a legend in, like, African-American literature. And so Confessions of a Native Son is picking up where uh, Richard Wright and James Baldwin left off 
by offering confessions from the perspective of a black veteran, which is a voice we haven't heard before. And I'll tell you, this podcast really started to take off. You know how these things are. You start talking to the mic. It's really just you. No one's listening. And then George Floyd happened, right? Yeah. And then yeah. I think that was a mojo moment for America. Everybody was like, hey, Mike is black. Did you know Mike is black? <laughs> <laughs> so literally my whole network started to wake no up. No one knew that you were black before that? Hey, you know, they had these conversations. Oh, we don't see race. We don't see color. George Floyd happened. And people were like, I don't know where I stand with my black friends. Like, I'm going to go ask Mike. Yeah. So literally my phone was blowing up. Yeah. It was just blown. It was overwhelmingly blown up. I'm I'm not doubt. I'm not underplaying. It's like over a hundred phone calls, classmates, messages, everything. And, and what, to, were people were checking in just or wanted your perspective or what? What? What were people's? They wanted my perspective. Yeah. You know, they wanted my perspective on George Floyd. They wanted my perspective on race things. You know, they were like, they just had nobody to talk to. That's really what it is. Right. They had no black people around them that they could really talk to like yeah. this and really tell them the skinny, you know. And so they're like, well, I know this one black. I went to school with him like 15 years ago. Let me call Mike. And so I, I did an episode on uh, George Floyd for the podcast and I called the episode George Floyd and I laid it out. I said, look, I think there's an inferiority complex. I said, I think black I think America views black Americans as inferior. I was like, I think they view the way we think, the way we talk you know, our culture and everything of it. And I feel like George Floyd is the byproduct of that. And, you know, the nice thing about James Baldwin, James Baldwin would never look at something like George Floyd and say, it's the police officer's problem. He would say the grass is wrong in America that allowed an officer like that to grow up in it. Right. And so that's the layers of the deep, the depth that he goes. And so I did that podcast and it just blew up like in my network. And the nice thing I like about dog whistle branding on a personal level is and I think we can appreciate this as creatives. Like I don't I want to show up myself wherever I go. I want to work with clients that want to work with me, that like my thinking, you know, that just understand what they're getting, right? And I think a lot of people are depressed because they have to hide who they are, you know? And they're at work all day pretending to be somebody that they're not, right? Just to please people. And for me it's very important not to do that because it's just wasted energy. And so the nice thing about the podcast and my outspokenness is it wards off all the people that I probably shouldn't spend time with anyway. Yeah, yeah. And it, it plants the dog whistle for like people to open mind and that accept me for me. It's cool that you're using dog whistle in such a positive connotation when it has so many negative connotations when we often hear it used. Yeah. Because um, you also have a connection with dope coffee. Right. And that stuff looks awesome. Like I haven't, I haven't had any, but like the branding is sick. Wait, wait, wait! Uh, just clarify: is is there, is there dope in the coffee, or is just the name is dope coffee? No, there is no dope. Okay, okay. <laughs> again, it's one of those things of taking back these names. You know, all these right. names are so like negative, and it's like, where did this come from? Who told you this was negative? And in black culture, dope means something different. You know, dope for oh, us cool, is like, right? man, that's, that's a dope. Yeah, that's part. awesome. You know, let's dap people up and all this other stuff, and so. Uh, Dope Coffee was started by my friend, one of my best friends named Mike Lloyd, who I was with in Afghanistan together. Me and him served together in the Marines. And uh, when he transitioned out of the military, he reached out to me and was like, Mike, I'm launching something. I want you to be a part of it. I was like, oh, man, I just quit my job. My girlfriend just broke up with me. 
tires on my car just got stolen. My, like, my dog bit me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, the last thing I need is another thing to do I'm right now. But man, yeah. he sent me that logo, and I said I'm all in. And so I launched the podcast. Yeah, so I do brand strategy for those guys, and uh, it's a, a husband and wife team. And you know, it's just been great. And the coffee is just such a great, like these kind of conversations you're gonna have over coffee. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's why I paired it up with the podcast. And uh, it's just it's just been a blast, man. I love entrepreneurship. It's like, it's amazing. There's so many f- topics I like to jam on, but I got to bring it back to this one, which is the boxing ring, okay? Um, yeah. I had my moment where I was like, I got to try this out. I'm going to get in a ring. And about uh, many years ago, there's down the street from my office here, a little rougher part of town. There's a gym. The real gym, no air conditioning. It's not pretty. There's not nice showers. You go in there. It's the real raw gym. And I'm like, I'm gonna take courses. So, so it was over noon hour, and I signed up for this thing in July. And I know we're up in Canada, and everyone assumes that we're in igloos, but July in Montreal, probably like Newark, can get stinky, humid, hot. Like it's in in your Fahrenheit, you know, the hundred degrees and. It, so I'm doing these, I'm, I joined this course. It was for four, four weeks or whatever. And I was going to the gym like twice a week at noon. And, you know, I play hockey, I run, I would leave there and the, I do take, take a quick shower. I would be sweating the rest of the day. It would burn me out, man. And I ended up stopping because I was really bad at it. Like the, I just had no future in it, but um, so I know very little about boxing. That was my moment. Uh, but there, there's this, this movie, I, I assume you've seen it when we were King, uh, but you know, when we were yeah, kings, yeah, 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 the, yeah, the Ollie Foreman fight that I've seen it a couple times that, that film is just so good. And what I didn't realize, you know, I'd seen a bit of boxing matches over the years. Like when I was younger, Tyson was the guy you go, but there was never a boxing match because it'd be over in like 10 seconds. You know, you just run out, drill the guy and the other guy. So it was more like, okay, Tyson won again. Um, but when I saw that movie, it was the first time how mentally, like the psychology, the psychology of what was going on. Uh, obviously the film played that up and all even Foreman and all that tension and the energy. And I'm wondering like over your year, like when you're in a ring or when you're, you know, going out into a competition, like it, like, what are you feeling? Are you feeling fear? Are you focused? Like what, what's the psychology going on for you? Like in these big matches you're doing, I'll tell you, it is the movies don't even give it justice. Right, I don't even give it justice because you have the whole story of the buildup that's going on before that, right? So I'll tell you, you know, my personal my personal story is a uh, I don't talk about it too much. I'm working on it, but my mom suffered a stroke my sophomore year at the Naval Academy, um, and it left her paralyzed on the left side of her body, and she's been in a nursing home ever since. So we're going on what twelve years now. So she requires like twenty four seven assistance, and so I got called from Naval Academy. I got sent, I sent home for like three weeks and I had to make a decision. They were going to let me take the semester off and stay there to deal with that. But I, we had fought too hard to get me into the Naval Academy. Right. And I decided to go back uh, while my mom was basically in ICU. Um, And so I go back to the Academy and I'm all jacked up. 
You know, I'm like feeling sorry for myself. Woe is me. I ain't got no dad. Mom in a nursing home. You know, what the, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, what the fuck? You know, life is just hitting me like a brick, you know? And my coach was like, I come back, man. I've been gone for two weeks. He's like, Mike, you got to fight in a week. I'm like, what? I was like, come on, man. You know, woe is me, whatever. But I'm so glad. And I tell him to this day, I'm so glad he made me fight, you know, because I went, I fought West Point. And I fought and I won. And it was just like, I was going through all this emotion in the ring, right? Just like, I was battling demons in the fight, you know? Just like him beating me up and I'm just dealing with all this mental stuff and I was able to pull it off. But it was just a very powerful moment. And and I remember one of my teammates was like, when I came back from, from home after doing my mom's stroke, you know, me and him sparred. And he was like, I was just taking it out in the sparring ring. I don't know what I was doing. I was Poor just- Poor guy. <laughs> beat the shit out of him. Um. But I ended up making it to the national championship that year, right? So woe was me, right? And I think I was leaning on boxing. I was leaning on my teammates. I was just like, oh, my God, if I win this national championship, it's going to solve all my problems. Yeah. You know, like the, the trick, right? Like all of my problems are going to go away. So I just was on this tear to win my first national championship. And I remember when I make it to the finals, right? And this is what um, you're terrified, by the way. 99% of the time, you feel this fear in boxing, right? This idea that like, I'm going to be exposed and you're like in the back, you know, warming up. And then it's like making your way to the ring. You're like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. There's an exit there. I just run, you know, let me sprint out now before anybody finds out, but you're just going, your body's going. So you're having this talk all the way up to the ring. And then you get in the ring and it's almost like the world just gets silent, you know? And it's just cause you're in survival mode. It's just this natural instinct we have where it's just like, it's like pure tunnel vision with just you and this guy, right? And then they ring the bell, whatever, and you go out and you got all these nervous jitters and everything else under the sun. But it is very like, it's almost very intimate between you and the person you're fighting because you know more about this person than their entire family or anything else because you're literally in physical combat with them. And so like when you hit somebody with everything you got and they take it, right, you learn a lot about that person. And the same thing when he hits you. So I'm in this national championship. I'm terrified, right? I'm fighting uh, University of Nevada, Reno. And Nevada has a strong history of collegiate boxing success. And going into the nationals, they had four guys at the nationals. Three of them had already won national championships that night. And I was fighting the fourth one. And the, it was in Reno. The national championships were in Reno, Nevada. And so the whole crowd was pro Reno. And they had the forced four-time four champs and all that kind yeah, of stuff. This- so I get in the ring with this guy. You're in um, enemy territory here. like Yeah, and he looks like a monster. So that's the thing about collegiate boxing is you tend to spend most of your time on a certain coast just because it's cheaper. We're a club sport, so we're bouncing around, you know, clubs and, and programs on the East Coast. And then you get to Nationals, which was on the West Coast, and you see monsters. These are times where you see those fighters you haven't seen, like, all year, and I'm getting in with this guy, whatever. So I'm up, whatever, you know, and then we start the bout, and he cracks me in the first round, and he drops me. Right. He's me with a left hook and he drops me. But it's weird because it's like you see everything clearly. You know, it's like you watch the movies and you watch the Rocky and all that kind of stuff. And then you find yourself in those moments. Just like when you're in the military. Right. You watch the war movies then you're in Afghanistan getting shot at. Right. And so it's just like zoom out. Pitch, just a surreal feeling. Um, but that was my moment, man. I was like, man, I came too far. I've been through too much to come in here. It gets stopped in the first round. And I got up and I won the fight. And it was just like this 
it was like one of the best feelings ever for about five seconds, you know? And then you realize, like, man, like, I'm still, I'm still. Then the world came yeah. back in. The world comes back in. Well, the, but so, I, so that moment when you win, right? And you're looking at the guy who lost. Do you, do you have, like, an empathy for, or you're just so. Uh, I still, the exact moment I won, I still do the same. It's like, fuck yeah. You know, it's right. It's like you, you, know? you deserve that moment, and you just, you just, it's just this feeling of like, man, you like, in a like, nationals is one of those things where everybody is fighting their butts off. You know, like I fought tooth and nail, I clawed tooth and nail to win that fight. I left everything I had, and I won it. And it became after I won it the first time. The reason I won it the next two times is because I knew what it took to win it. So, you know, it's like whenever race, you ever race somebody and then you're trying to sprint to the end and you're looking at him, he's looking at you and y'all are going and then one of them drops off, right? Imagine if that was like your hundredth time doing it and you know exactly where that guy is going to drop off, you know, and you know he doesn't have what it's going to take. And so it's a power of wheels. And so every time I got in a national championship or boxing, I knew what it took to win a national championship. A lot of these other guys didn't know yet. And so that was my unfair advantage. So when they were tired or sucking wind, I'm like, yo, this ain't my first rodeo. And after I won two of them, just get out of the way. It's a wrap. You know, you're saying that that fear of as you're heading towards the ring, do you, does that carry over? It's probably not the same intensity, but into your projects now when you're, when you're jumping in a new ring, a new, let's use a metaphor, the ring as a new project or taking on branding or taking on coffee or taking on whatever the academy do you have that fear and that that you just know it, that's good? It, it's almost it helps you maybe or it now I do because of awareness, right? And the reason I was taking the brand strategy sprint was because I was having trouble connecting boxing to entrepreneurship externally, right? It makes perfect sense to me. Why I'm a boxer? I'm an entrepreneur. It makes perfect sense to my kids because they see it. But to somebody on the outside, are you a boxing gym? Are you entrepreneurship? I'm confused. We've never seen these two things paired before. But I'm tell you, it takes the same amount of courage to step inside a boxing ring as it does to start your own business. When I quit my job, I literally quit my job just because uh, I felt like it was time for me to, to focus on my venture full time. And I walked in. You better believe when I was walking into, you know, the assistant headmaster's office to let them know I was stepping down. Right. I was feeling that. And then after I did it, I realized I had set course a chain of events that I didn't know where it was leading to. Cause I had no job security. There was nothing. I was leaving to build something virtually from scratch. And so it's the same kind of, it's borderline terror if I'm going to be honest. And when you're dealing with all these emotions, man, I dealt with anxiety, you know, just this, I just this rally. Like I was, you're scared to sleep because you're, you can see the day you run out of money. You know, you're like, Oh, there you, I, I call him the guy, the guy that stands over your shoulder. That's there to collect. That's the day you run out of money. And when, you, when I first quit my business, he was, like, watching me sleep. He's, like, standing <laughs> over my head. <laughs> so it's the same. It's literally the same thing, you know? And it, it takes courage to do anything. And I think one of the things I learned in boxing was just to accept risk and to be vulnerable and be out there. Because when you're in the boxing ring, you're basically butt naked, standing a bunch of people. Your courage, your grit, all this machismo you think you have, well, you got to show it. Is it that, the fear of being humiliated by losing? Is that... Or is it the fear of the pain of being punched in the head? Or it's the understanding that nobody is going to save you but yourself. Yeah. That there's no net behind you. 
it's really powerful. And it's so weird, the serendipity of this. This morning, back to Scott Galloway, I was listening to his latest podcast he just dropped. He had on uh, the author of a, a bunch of books around uh, the Stoics. And this guy, Ryan Halliday, was on. Uh, and, yep, Ryan Halliday. And, uh, and he was talking about the sort of, the, I don't know if there's all the, the four virtues, and one of them being courage, temperance, uh, justice, and wisdom. And he went on a big thing around courage. Like courage without wisdom can just be stupidity, right? Right. You know, these are not isolated virtues. It's the interplay of the four is what makes them powerful. So when you went into that headmaster, your boss, if you want, to say, I'm to courage, I'm quitting, I'm going into the abyss of I don't know what. It wasn't done without wisdom. Like you weren't just a bravado going in, I'm going to quit and do something. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's making me understand even better the podcast I listened to earlier today of Scott Galloway talking the interplay of those. That's an important point too, because so one of the things that I, I do with Ironbound, like one of the ways I explain why boxing is so powerful for kids in inner city is because we help them get small wins, right? Courage kind of has to get nourished over time too. Right. You do a bunch of courageous things over and over again, whether you win or lose. But then courage becomes a habit. It's not it still feels uncomfortable, but you're not on day one. You know what I mean? So when I launch a new venture, I throw something at the wall. I'm not like, oh, my God, my whole life is in this thing. I'll never be able to recover. It's like, I'll figure it out. If not, I'll do something else. But for a lot of people, it's like because they've never done it before. So they're just like, "Uh so it's built up over time. And for me, one of the things that gave me confidence to quit my job, like I'm a veteran entrepreneur, right? So I had done all these veteran entrepreneur programs and they were saying, we need more veteran entrepreneurs. We need more black entrepreneurs. We need all this, blah, blah, blah. I was like, at the end of the day, I'm a black guy from the Naval Academy. I'm a fucking Marine Corps infantry officer. You know what I'm saying? Worst case scenario, right? I don't know how far the bottom will fall, but I have to trust in myself that like, there's some pattern here of success, you know? I was a three-time national champ, right? This is not just like me talking out my ass and I'm not trying to be, um, what's, what's the word, uh, humble brag. But at the end of the day, I did all those things. And I actually, I, like, I did a writing exercise when I was like at my lowest of like, what have I done in my life? And then I listed it all out. And I was like, yo, that stuff is real. And so when I quit my job, I did the exercise afterwards. You know, we, we call it the ground punch. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you're a Marine Corps infantry officer. You got this, man. You're right. You're right. You got it, man. You're right. You know? But it was one of those things of, like, I had to trust in myself. But, again, I had built it up over time. Now, it still was a falling down the bushes on the way down because you jump out the, uh, the airplane without a parachute. But eventually, you grab that branch. Yeah. Right? And I have a foundation to build off of, a, of. And I think sometimes people get nervous because they don't have a foundation. They haven't read any books. They haven't done anything, right? They have done nothing to justify the aspirational identity that they're chasing after. They've done none of the work to get there. And so for me, it's like, I know, I, it's, it's uh, what's the word? I see it again. It's a pattern recognition piece of like, something's hard. I've never done it before. It's really hard. I need to spend a lot of time with it. Now I'm getting better at it. It takes a little time. Let me read a book. Let me do some of this. Oh, rather than me try to learn it, let me go find an SME that's been doing it forever and ask his opinion. And then you just start to build this little system out. And it's like, 
Rinse and repeat. Yeah, but your thing you're saying there goes back also, you know, they were talking about temperance. And temperance gets confused because people think of the temperance movement and all that. But temperance is, you know, what you're saying not just jumping out of the airplane is your temper. Temperance is also the discipline of like taking a pause or taking, doing your homework <laughs> or, or, yeah. or, or thinking it through. And, and, and so... You know, it's not just blind, oh, jumping out the window and you're doing you you do you do the groundwork, man. You do the groundwork too. You can lie to everyone else, but you can't lie to yourself. Well, you can. You know, I, you know, I and the, the, <laughs> yeah. But you can tell yourself you're a badass and you've done all this kind of stuff, but if you've never done anything badass in your entire life, right? You know, who knows? Maybe you're that one guy out of the whole world, the first time they get in something, they can hit a home run. But it's just like entrepreneurship, just like like one thing you find out, right? All these successful entrepreneurs that we see that we put on a pedestal, very few of them hit a home run their first time out the gate. Yeah, most of them right? don't, they, man. Most of them don't. Most of them yeah. don't. Fifth, sixth, seventh venture, right? God knows what they started, you know, who they grew up with, what other venture. There's a, like a pattern, right? Now, when they're on the ascend, right, like it's hard to recognize this stuff. But then you go back and look, and then it's like, wait a minute, this guy, like, Worked with his boss at a coffee shop, was a, you know, got brought on as like a biz dev guy, like figured it out. Then he worked in another coffee startup and then did this and then read this. And then he launched a coffee startup or something. Right. And you kind of see this like this pattern, you know. Um, And so for us as human beings, right, like this idea that we're going to hit a home run, like where does this come from? It's not real. It's a myth. Right. It's not even how like it's like basic science. Nothing works like that. Like it has to adapt and evolve so we have to adapt and evolve and so that's why like you guys do branding and marketing you throw a bunch of stuff at the wall you know and then once you figure out what's working then you refine you honing in and you dial it in some more you know it's funny you say just back to the throwing stuff at the wall it's actually considered like poor form now it's usually like that's that's a negative really you just you know throwing stuff at the wall see it sticks what you should really do is do your analysis actually throwing stuff at the wall is just a brilliant way to learn shit it's 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 the way to do it. You're getting real time feedback. Yeah. You're not getting analytic like like I, I taught a marketing class today for some for some black entrepreneurs, black veteran entrepreneurs, right? I was like, this the whole purpose of your marketing is to generate revenue, right? Like these are early stage; they're just getting started yeah. out. I was like, listen, man, how do you know when to measure success? Because the guys talking about like I got this many looks on my website. I'm like, dude, is it converting the revenue? Right? Like if it's not, probably not working best for you. You know, but how do you find out what works? You throw a bunch of stuff at the wall, you know, and then you, and then it drives something and then you drive something. And so think of us as human beings, right? Like I've been, I've learned how to explain this when I was talking about with the curiosity, right? What is your passion? Oh, I don't know what my passion is. Have you done anything? Have you like, literally, have you signed up for a course? Have you cooked anything? Have you explored curiosities? What have you done? I don't know what I like because you haven't done anything. You do a bunch of different stuff, and after you get experience doing a bunch of different stuff, you'll have a clear idea of what you actually enjoy doing. You need inputs to have outputs. Feed. You got to feed the machine, man. You got to. And I think that's why, like, being business owners and entrepreneurs and stuff, it really is like you spend a lot of time alone <laughs> to think of this stuff. Like, I'm in my, I'm in my studio now, man. I damn near live in this thing. Like, there's nobody else here. It's just me. My whole team is remote. But it is this almost like philosophical like journey of like the entrepreneur. 
It's so inspiring, man. I appreciate you being on on the Mojo Moments podcast here. This is this is really a good cast we have going on here. Um, yeah. We we do this thing because we're respectful of your time. You no, know, you got a lot of things going on. We got, we call it the Rabbit Hole Five um, because it used to be the Rapid Five, but then they became they lead to people would just go down these rabbit holes and disappear and then they weren't rapid at all so we call them the, the rabbit hole five now <laughs> Got it. so uh you're a busy guy you're a renaissance man what do you do to chill man that's a that's a good question i'm actually working on that and i don't know if it's technology because we're so online now that i almost always feel like i'm plugged in and it's like, man, how do I, like, unplug, you know? I think reading, you know, just having a quiet time to just kind of, like, read and enjoy a good book. And it makes me lame to my girlfriend because, like, I just want to, like, it seems, isn't it crazy, like, we're in this battle now just for quiet time? Just, like, deep, quiet, nobody bothering us. You're lucky if you get, what, like, 45 minutes? That's wild. If you're lucky, you know? God forbid you oversleep, it's gone. <laughs> Well, that's why jogging for me, I used to always bring my music with me or, uh, or, you know, listen to podcast. Now I, I don't, I don't bring a device. I just want my brain to get some air blowing through there, you know? Yeah. It's definitely reading. Just having like not rushed. We're like, Oh my God, I only got 30 minutes, whatever. I just like, like, man, I have a wide open time frame. Let me just sit down and just read something. I've been doing that as well. Like trying, trying to actually focus on, on like a novel on a narrative that isn't like, okay, what's the latest tweet? What's the latest answer? What it's just like, I sit and I try and read for 45 minutes. It rests my eyes. I'm not right. staring at a screen. I've been doing that too. And it feels like such a luxury. Like I've, I've been really in complete luxury. I've been doing a lot of audiobooks uh, in the last year, but recently I took a, a bit of time off last week with the family. The kids had their uh, March spring break and, and I was able to occasionally sit down and reading Obama's uh, first, you know, tomb of a book. And, and when I would sit there with a cup of coffee and sit and with my feet up and, and the texture of turning a page, I was just like, this is luxury, man. <laughs> like, it felt, yeah. felt very lucky. Although my wife kept saying, can you take the No, I, I, <laughs> I shouldn't do the voice. Honey, if you're listening, it was all, it was great. You were right. I should get outside. Uh, okay. Second question, Mark, this is yours, man. This is your, your one. So entrance music, you know, baseball players have it. Boxers have it. What would your entrance Rocky music had be? it. Rocky had it. I really like Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. It is. Wasn't that in a Rocky movie? Was it in a Rocky movie? Yeah, it was in Rocky Three. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I always think about some like if there's one thing I miss about boxing, right? I miss a lot of it, right? But I fucking love walking out to walk out music. Do they do it like given like, like, like they do it for real? They do it. They do it. Yeah, we do it. And you you and choose like, a song or how's it work? It, you choose the song and everything. But do you have to, like, pre-approve that? Like, I'm going to do Eye of the Tiger, so somebody else has to do something else? Like, do they do they set that stuff out ahead of time? You just tell them. You know, at, I boxed at, at the Naval Academy. You know, we had this big boxing tournament called the Brigade Boxing Championships. And it's basically a box-off to see who gets to go compete at nationals. So you're basically fight, you're fighting your teammates for the number one spot. And it's a tournament to get there. And so you we, every year you pick your walkout music. 
if like I still imagine walking out to music now. I'll probably do it today, <laughs> right? Just be honest. It's just such you have no idea how good it when that music goes off, you know, it's just it's just the it's the most epic thing in the world. It is just amazing. You're young, man. I had tigers and an old tune. Like well, I, I think you'd take something uh some stuff is timeless. That's what this generation, that's what my generation doesn't know. We just throw a bunch of mediocre, piss poor, no heart stuff at the wall, you know. Like Disney, right? They just keep throwing, recycling all their Turning movies. it out. Yeah. Turning it out. But like. I'm going to challenge you on that because uh, I made a point with my, you know, when I was growing up, particularly my dad, you know, our music, your music was not good. It was his. And I was like, I'm not right. going to be that dad. So I made a deal with the kids, you know, cars where we actually listen to music together. And so I, the deal is like, I throw some of my stuff on, throw your stuff on. And it's gotten to the point I'm really liking their stuff. And what I try and do is I go on Apple Music and I try and get even more latest stuff of their sort of tunes so that I'm cooler than them. It's a bit of a, maybe it's me trying to be younger. But I think there's some good new stuff out there, man. I'm There is, oh, you're right. There is some good new stuff. But I just meant in terms of, maybe it is us. We probably are old. But like, when you hear Eye of the Tiger, <laughs> like we are, it automatically goes. Like, we already thinking. You know, you're thinking boxing. Yeah. At least for Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. It's a classic. It's a classic. That's a good question there, Mark. I'm glad you put that in there. <laughs> We're actually in our, in, in, for our podcast, we got a little music. We got intro, outro. A good friend of ours did the music. But we're thinking today maybe even getting sued, we might throw in. We may, let's do tiger. Eye of the Tiger, man. Let's see what happens. <laughs> try, to get, try to get sued. Uh, number three. Number three. Look at us. Uh, if someone had to learn one boxing move, which would it be and why? Probably the jab. It's just the foundation of boxing, right? Like, it's just the most, like, everything is off the jab, right? So it's like. Am I doing it base. right? No. Oh, shit. <laughs> show me. Show. Let's learn. You gotta, you gotta get your hands up, elbows in. Oh, yeah, that's right. Shoot it, you shoot it straight. But usually we'll have your chin tucked in. You have your chin tucked in and you bring it back. So the jab. Okay. It's clearly That's a solid one. Clearly, my course of the whenever it was, I forgot. You were, yeah, you weren't lying when you said you sucked at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, question number four. I have a theory. I have a theory, and and maybe it's a dude theory, but for men in particular, I feel like we learn a lot about who we are, who we want to be as people, and and particularly as leaders from the athletes we grow up watching. Right, like certain of their characteristics. Um, is there anybody for you that was an athlete? It, maybe it was a boxer that you know, you saw something in them and, and took that on like, Oh, I like the way they, they hold themselves or they in, interact in, in the sport or in the ring. Yeah. There was actually two. When I was boxing, I really looked up to Evander Holyfield. Oh, right. Just, he was just a warrior, man. I had a shaved head literally until I transitioned out of military. I had a baked head. I baked my head and I baked my head going into the, my first time competing in the brigade boxing championship. Cause I want to be like a Vander Holyfield. You know, just his old wars with like Riddick, Bo, and everything, the real deal, Holyfield. But I think the person I probably aspire to the most that still gets me like emotional even thinking about is Muhammad Ali, right? Like I feel like I, I, I never got to meet him, right? And I didn't grow up, you know, in things that day where he was at his <laughs> How old am I? How old am I? <laughs> Let me try. <laughs> Yeah, but I look young. I look young for 75. You're a young 75 then. 
but it's weird, right? And that's the power of like podcasting before it was podcasting, the audio clips and everything. It's like you almost get to know Ali, at least, you know, you know a version of him, right? So like he, when I think of Ali, I still think of that 1970 Ali. And the thing I enjoy about him is that he was more than just a boxer, right? Like the fact that he could go toe-to-toe with like the William F. Buckley's of the world and all these intellectuals and speak his truth in a way. Um, I think he like he just is just very powerful, impactful for and, him. He, and, so and he was funny too. And he was funny, man. He was just a he was just one of a kind. And you know, I think Ali reminds us of like all our uniqueness. You know how like there are just certain gaps when people are gone, you know, that it's just like there's no one filling that gap. Like Ali's one of a kind, James Baldwin's one of a kind. Nobody else sounds like these guys. Um, and so I look up to him. I think you're going to be one of those guys, man. What's one of those guys? You're you're one of a kind. You're gonna you're gonna leave a mark for sure on this planet. I appreciate it. Like we all do, but you're you're gonna leave a big mark, and uh, and I just had to say that it just came out of me, and I, I'm telling you that. Uh, and here's our fifth question. I and I've been doing this for all the guests we get on the Mojo Moments which is just a shortcut to getting advice for me and eventually for Mark as his kids get older. Uh, for my my eldest son, 17, now was 16 last year, now 17. What would be the advice the advice you would give your 17-year-old self if you could talk to yourself and when you were 17? What would you tell yourself? Man, question everything question don't take everything um don't take everything as is right like and and learn to to cut loose these barriers you know i get i get in conversation about this all the time of like and we see this now and this is where scott galloway is right like what is college what is education right why do we associate education with sitting in a classroom what are y'all still there yeah yeah Sorry, you were stick. You were frozen for a second. Well, because we're we, um, we got you got us. You got yeah, us in I the palm, so, man. I had them so hooked, y'all. They were just like staring. I was like, "Is this?" <laughs> but going back, going back to what I was saying, um, you know, Scott Galloway talked about it. You know, this like, what have we done? Have we bastardized what it means to be educated? And so now you say stuff to people, and it's like their minds are blown just because they haven't been thought to think different, right? Like, oh, you have to go to college. Well, if I go read two hundred books on venture capital or something do i gotta go to college for that right like why are we putting this in why are we boxing ourselves in with all these like definitions and requirements and everything like that and so once you start to learn how to question everything then it frees you to learn and start to explore and come up with your own understanding your own definitions you know and i feel like that's probably what held me back a long time you know because to be honest i was probably never good for a classroom I didn't know this until I got older and started doing these self-assessments and found out what was working, what wasn't working. I'm an autodidact. I'm a self-taught learner. I need autonomy, right? I, that's why I had to get out of the military. I'm never going to go in a straight line like everybody else. I'm going to, the ball starts bouncing, I'm running to chase after it, right? That's just how I am. And so as I start to know this, it's like, man, I wonder what else I could have been doing, you know, in a sense of, just exploring and questioning. So that's what I would tell myself is don't, and don't accept people's labels of anything. Yeah. Basically define the world as you see it. 
whatever it is you want to do. And uh, I think that's one of the messages I try to share on my platforms, too, which is why I said at the beginning of, you know, I was like, oh, man, I want to get a Ph.D. in African-American studies. I really did. I want to get an MBA. I want to do all these things. Right. There's so much. But like, really, how can I do it? Well, maybe I create a new version of doing it. You know, maybe my podcast is those things. Um, and I get to create my own courses. I can do whatever I want to do. And so understanding that has been very freeing, but it puts you in a different wavelength as most people, because most people aren't thinking like that. You know, they think that, and we're taught, right? Because we're programmed, right? We're programmed to be very linear in our thoughts. Um, and breaking away from that, I feel like it's just very powerful. I think that's such good advice. Uh, and it's interesting, I, you know, I'm to bring it back to the, the college thing and all that stuff. Last night I watched Varsity Blues. It's on, uh, where is it on? One of the platforms. But it talks about the whole university scandal. You know, and as my son started ratcheting up to his college decisions and, and, and you see this, the mental state of everyone boxing themselves into this, this path. This is what you got to do. You got to go to this school. You got to, and, and, and it's question everything, man. Just question Look at where we're at, man. People spending, first of all, in America, right? You guys are in Canada, but in America, right? We've like made it very hard for entrepreneurs, to be honest. We say we've made it very hard, but from a social perspective, it's very challenging. Why? Because we're so used to healthcare, right? Now you want to quit your job. How are you going to pay $20,000 in healthcare? God, God forbid you have a family. Oh my God, you have 50K in student debt. You have a home mortgage, right? You got debt, debt, debt. Right. So technically you're starting your business in the negative. Yeah. You know, and that's the mental thing that keeps people from like taking the big leap. And so then you say, okay, like for me, like say I want to get executive MBA. I look at the cost. These things are like freaking two hundred thousand dollars. You know how many businesses I can start thing for two hundred thousand dollars? Do you, you know, do you want it, do you want a true story here? Quick one? Yeah. yeah. I was going to do my MBA. Uh my wife and I decided if we're gonna do this. Let's go to a big name school because at the end of the day, it's essentially let's go for the brand. So we yep. applied to all the big names. We're not all of them, but it, oh, yeah, and it had to be a shorter format. We didn't want to do two year. So there's some you can do like in 15 months or something like that. And we both had to get in. So we we're essentially setting ourselves up to not go to MBA school, but in our heads, we were going. So Harvard, we could, that was on the list, Columbia. Uh, at, uh, well, you know, I think there were two. Anyway, the point is we finally both got into one that has a good name, maybe not as business school, but Oxford. We both got into Oxford and I, I, I got the letter. I did the interview, brilliant interview. Cause you know, the British accents were great and never went. I started my company. <laughs> I put the money <laughs> into starting a company rather than going off and doing that. Anyway, we're not, this is not my podcast. Well, it is my podcast, but this is, you're my guest. Uh, but, but, but your advice, your story, like I said earlier, man, this is just the beginning. We're in chapter one of, of, of your story, man. This is, uh, so after, and Mark calls it the Rona now. May, did you make that up? No. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, I, I'm just getting up to speed on the new nicknames of coronavirus. After the Rona, I'm getting down to New York, or you come out to Montreal, or sorry, Newark, I should be fair to the, the other side of the river. I want to hang, man. I want to have a coffee. I want to have a dope coffee and continue chatting live. 
Absolutely, man. Let's do it. You know, my girlfriend actually wants she she's been begging me to go to Canada. So that might, you know, kill two birds with one stone. There you you know, go. Canada's a very big piece of geography. So let's just call it Montreal. Come up here. Yeah, Montreal. Come on up. It's not far. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. Thanks. Take care. And we'll talk soon. Stay safe. Later. Woohoo. That was awesome, man. You know what's cool is, you know, we talk about mojo moment. No, but just, Him, you know, we talk cool. about what, oozes. if you're, if you're going to say, what is mojo? It's him. He's mojo. He's, he oozes confidence and you, you, there's a sense of, of just, I don't know, comfort with whatever he's, whatever he's talking about. I'm like, I get it. I dig it. I, I'm, and, I'm and with you. You know what? We're like in the first round here of, or, you know, early rounds of Ironbound Mike and everything he's going to do. Like, I'm putting it down into the podcast airwaves for the world to know. We're seeing the beginning of this guy is going so far because of his mojo, everything he's doing. Yeah. Uh, his dedication to craft everywhere he goes, everything he wants to touch, his insatiable appetite for new information and expanding his horizons for and sure. giving back his generosity, his courage, his, his, his overcoming his, obstacles, his eloquence. Like, dude, this is the beginning of iron. We're calling him Ironbound Mike. That's our new, that's the I just, full. I just want to hang out with him. Like he's one of those dudes. You're like, I just want to, I want to hang out. <laughs> let's, let's, let's chill some more. So this is what we're going to do. Promise dude. Post COVID we're, we're going to we'll bring him up. No, well, let's go down, man. I want to. I want to road trip down to New York because I like road. And we'll trip go live and we'll record inside the ring, inside the ring with Ironbound Mike. And we're gonna do. A, we're gonna do a lesson, you and I, in the ring, and and you're, you'll probably kill me. But let's just do that, okay? Let's do it. Hopefully man. they. But we'll get the face mask. Well, yeah, like the the mushy mushy cheek uh, helmet thing. We'll we'll do our podcast with the things on. I'm down. Let's do that. So thank you. That was awesome. Thank you, Mike. And uh, thank you to, to everyone out there. Just thanking the world. And check out the Ironbound Academy. Yeah, check it out. Uh, so that's a wrap. Mojo Moments. Speak to you guys. Speak to you. Speak to the world soon. Thank you all. Bye. Bye.